You're listening to the PK Experience Podcast, where I tap into the minds of today's impact players. My name is Peter King. I'm the host of the show, and my guest today is Alanka Deaton. Alanka has one of the most powerful messages of hope and forgiveness that I've come across. When she was a young girl, she was sexually trafficked for over five years, and even more traumatically, all of this happened under the nose of her parents. Um, She has turned her life into a masterpiece, traveling the world, performing um, with her tremendous voice and her speaking, sharing this powerful message, uh, as well as authoring two books, one of which helps other victims of abuse tell their own story. Um, She speaks to teens and for the last several years has worked with organizations such as Share, World Vision, Women at Risk, Crisis Aid International, uh, the Bethany Christian Services Group, the Hope Line, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. She is an artist and shares her message through her art and through her voice, through her speaking. It's truly an honor to have her on the program. Here I am with Alanka Deaton. All right, I'm here with Alanka Deaton. Alanka, thank you so much for carving out time of your day today and, and speaking with me. I really appreciate it. You're very welcome. Thanks the, for having me. Yes, the, uh, the topic of discussion is... A very serious one, um, something you have, unfortunately, a lot of experience in. And um, so I, I really appreciate your courage to step forward and share your story and uh, help illuminate what this problem is and how other people can get educated about it. And then most importantly, how we can help prevent. Uh, and of course, we're talking about child sex trafficking. So um, right. again, thank you. Um, all right. So if you could share with my listeners a little bit of your background, like where are you from? Where did you grow up and, and what was your family life like? Sure. So I grew up in uh, just outside Johannesburg, South Africa in a suburb, grew up with a single parent, uh, my mom who raised me and my two brothers by herself. Um, our dad was in the picture. Um, my dad was a pilot in the air force, worked for the military for a long time, suffered PTSD and became a, a, a functional, then dysfunctional alcoholic. So it wasn't really suitable for, you know, him. It wasn't healthy for him to be around us, you know, um, Mm. while my mom was raising us. So even though we got to see him, mom was really the pillar in our family. Uh, She was a language professor, language teacher, you know, uh, worked two, three jobs to put food on the table. Amazing woman. Great respect for her. Um, So mom really tried when I was growing up to foster a, a healthy a creative environment for us and to really encourage us in, in, in anything that we had interest in sports, creative, you know, I stayed fit, things like that. And um, I love to sing. I also love to do sports, but I really love to sing. Mm. So um, when I was about 12 years old, there was a national singing competition and I begged my mom to enter me and she did. And I ended up winning this competition. It was kind of like an American idol, but not it, American Idol didn't exist then, so mm-hmm. uh, it was not American Idol. Let's just be clear about that. It was just <laughs> like that, okay? Mm-hmm. And um, I wanted, and and uh, they offered me my first record deal to make my first album. And um, after many months of deliberating with my mom, she agreed, and, and I did that. And then started my uh, young um, teenager, well, preteen pop career. And the first year was, was wonderful. I, I felt my dreams came true. I uh, made my first record. I made publicists and hairstylists. And this was a pretty big deal. Yeah. I mean, were you traveling and like doing concerts and stuff? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Dream come true. That's cool. The music that would be the equivalent of if a child here got a record deal, and it, it looks very much similar to the music. Yes. 
Um, the, uh, the record company assigned a manager to my career, you know, pretty standard and normal is what they would do here to take care of, you know, just the bookings and the day-to-day management. Um, that individual, we'll just call him John. Okay. okay. So John was, um, someone who would be a couple of years older than my dad. And he really stepped into that father figure place for me. Uh, the first year it was awesome. I mean, he taught me a lot about the music business. He, uh, he really sewed into my life uh, with knowledge of what I wanted, what I needed to know to um, become better as an artist. He introduced me to a ton of people, um, set up meetings. I mean, he really just fostered me having a successful, you know, career uh, that mm-hmm. year. What I didn't realize was that John was um, John had a weakness, and he was a very sick individual. Um, he was an individual who uh, gained a lot of pleasure from grooming young girls and then have, having sex with them. Um, there was no way that we could have known this because knowing what I know now and the studies that I've done on predators and people like him, um, they don't move fast. They move really slow. They're extremely patient in their approach and they master, master manipulators. And typically people like them, you know, it's someone that's charismatic and they're going to be friendly and you're going to become good friends with them and they will gain your trust. Mm. It's kind of scary, you know? So um, about a year into that first year of my contract, uh, my mom uh, could not take me to a rehearsal and we had a big, we had a big contract coming up that we had to rehearse for and he just offered to come and pick me up and take me. Well, mom trusted him and I trusted him. And he picked me up and took me to the rehearsal space. And when we got there, we were the first people there. And that wasn't odd that had happened before with me and mom. But my intuition that day, when we drove in, I knew that I just knew that something was wrong. Some, I could just feel it in my spirit, you know. So ladies out there, when you feel that intuition, please pay attention to it. I was just going to say, there is, there yeah. is a survival level intuition i've talked to many women who have been in unfortunate situations and they all said that they knew like and and that's amazing to me that you were around him for that long but for whatever and you trusted him but for whatever reason that day none of that's why i say they're so patient they wait that was the first opportunity ever that my mom allowed him to be alone with me okay Mm. and that was the he took the first opportunity that he had so he was patient he waited a year Mm. He waited a year for that. So if he would have done it before, I probably would have felt that same intuition. But that was the moment in the day that he decided he was going to act upon his desires. So I think when you meet, I don't know if you've ever had the experience, Peter, but when you meet someone who um, is calm and collective in the presence of evil, it's, it's a darkness that you cannot describe. Mm-hmm. It's not the brutal rape scene in, in an alley or the, the harsh abduction that happens quick and rapid. This is a calm, collective person who has done this many times before, mm-hmm. knows exactly what he's going to do. And it's, it's, it's just very evil. It's just, yeah, it's very evil. And it's scary to, you know, to experience that. Very, very scary. Um, and so we, we went into the rehearsal space and he locked the door behind us. And at that point I knew that something was bad wrong. And I asked to go home, you know, he denied me to go home and he was very calm and he just proceeded to tell me exactly what he was going to do. And then he proceeded to just brutally rape me mm-hmm. after he did that. Um, well, let, let me explain something to you. 
while this was all going on, my um, my 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 first instincts of adrenaline rushing through my body was fighting, you know, fighting it. Now, remember, I was a 12-year-old girl. So his stature of being a man was much larger, larger than what I was. At that point, I had no self-defense training, you know, to know what to do in a situation like that. And so he overpowered me physically. Uh, but then secondary to that, I think, and I've heard other survivors talk about this, but I can just talk to myself. First, you fight, right? And you, and you beg, you fight, and then you beg, and you plead, and then you try to negotiate, and if that doesn't work, then your body just becomes numb. Like, yeah. I literally could not feel my limbs, couldn't move. I mean, it was, it was just a very, very awful, dark, frightening horrific experience well from a from a psychological emotional standpoint it's it's disassociation right you're you're you realize that you have no control and so you disconnect and disassociate from yeah, the attack. that right and um and i think a lot of survivors because that happens to them and because we don't understand that at that moment a lot of survivors will feel shameful that that happened that they didn't do something to protect themselves further or that they didn't work hard enough to get themselves out of that situation. Mm -hmm. A lot of times women will keep silent because they feel that it was their fault uh, and it wasn't you know, at all. So after that, um, he, um, he, he um, told me that I would be silent, that I will not say anything about it because this was a special relationship between him and I. It was going to be a secret. And that if I did not, that he would kill my mother in front of me. Wow. And that he would kill my brothers in front of me and then he would kill me. Now, Peter, my mom was, my mom hung the moon. You know, I was 12. My mother was everything in my world. I had not hit puberty. I had not become, you know, um, that independent girl self at 13, 14 that every girl goes through. I, my mom was everything in my life. Mm. And I made an agreement with myself to protect her, that I was not going to allow this guy who was so nice to me, who just become a monster to hurt her mm. at any cost. Yeah. And, um, but little did I know that I, that would not have happened. He would have never had the opportunity even to get close to my mother if I would have spoken up, ever. He would have been arrested. My mom would have been fine. My brothers would have been fine. But see, that's the thing about predators. They know uh, yeah. in an instant they can, they can manipulate and make a child doubt themselves. Mm -hmm. Where you not only think it was your fault, but you believe what they're saying to you. So they start doing that to break your spirit. Then the further they break your spirit, the more they um, pull you into thinking that this is the only place where you belong. And that's what happens with gangs, mm. when kids are pulled into gangs. Mm. Um, all of us want to feel known, loved, accepted, and that we belong somewhere. So when something awful happens to you or you have a, a different than normal circumstance, kids that grow up in the projects, you know, don't have enough money, who, who cannot afford the things, or like me who was exposed to this and I grew up in a well-educated family, you know, who's going who's gonna, to who's gonna want me? Who's going to want to be my friend? Who's going to want to marry me one day? And those are the kind of words that they would use, you know, that he used, you know, to break my spirit. And up until the point where you get so broken that you go, well, I must have done something. Yeah, maybe he's right. Maybe I did do something, you know. Um, and we see that right now with the uh, Jeffrey, uh, I'm not Jeffrey Epstein. Oh, gosh. The court case that's going, uh, Harvey, 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 yes. Harvey, where his defense attorneys are saying um, that these women wanted a father figure. And you know, that makes me angry. It makes me so sick because 
those girls probably had a weakness in their life where they didn't have an acting father because if they did, that probably wouldn't have happened in their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Were they looking for a father figure? Absolutely. Were they looking for love? Yes. Were they looking for acceptance? Yes. Were they looking for someone to rape them and destroy their lives? No. Yeah. They were not looking for evil. They were looking for someone to take care of them, not, not someone to, you know, to take their innocence. Um, and to ruin their lives. You know how long it takes for a survivor of just just take trafficking off the plate, just sexual abuse to recover. It's it's years of process. Yeah, if at all. N- normality. Yeah, it is. It is awful. I can't believe. Uh, is are they saying that that? Sorry to get a little off track here, but are they actually using that as a as a defense? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> does it even come? Like but that what, doesn't even. But, but listen, why would they not? Because that's probably words that that Harvey has used himself. Now I'm just assuming this, okay? I've never heard the man say it, but I. But being someone who has been raped, who has been in in, in the entertainment industry, who uh, people have made promises to me to have a better career if I would do sexual favors, all that kind of stuff. I get it. I lived it for five years. Right. And I know what they say. And it's not that different to what we're hearing in, in this court case, but they. They, they did not look for a father figure to rape, abuse, molest, steal their innocence. No, that is yeah. not what. So, you know, and, and and when I went back to South Africa, um, uh, the first time after I'd done years of therapy, I was extremely anxious and had a lot of anxiety uh, because I was so scared to death I was going to run into into John. Mm-hmm. And I had to work with my therapist, and that was one of the, the the first questions we had to work through is if you face him and he says to you, but you wanted a father figure and you wanted this, what will your response be? Wow. Learn that, okay, what I wanted was love, appreciation, respect. I wanted dad in my life. I did not want what he did to me and what he pulled me into, that kind of darkness. So. Yeah, I'm praying a lot for those for those girls, and um, I absolutely believe there will be justice for them, and um, that evil will have its day, you know. And I, I am a believer; um, I'm Christian, so my 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 view of the world is biblical. And um, in my opinion, uh, darkness has to flee when you flip a light switch on. It cannot. So, and that's what's going to happen here. It, it'll just be a process for them, but I, I will pray that it's a fast process for them. Yeah, agreed. Mm-hmm. Um, so, w- when this happened around 12 years old, um, mm-hmm. how long did that, did that uh, occur? Over what time period were you doing? So, all, all in all was five years until the day that I was rescued out of it. Um, during the five years, there were many different stages and phases of it. Um, I wasn't pulled into uh, the trafficking side of things immediately. Again, they're very slow in their approach, unless it is an abduction uh, like Taken, the movie Taken, or uh, just a normal child abduction where a girl gets raped and is murdered. Uh, My situation was not like that. Um, My situation was more of what you would see, um, what we call, you know, prostitutes in the United States, that they slowly get pulled into something and then they start living a life of that. Um, and although all the time you know that it's not, it's not what, what you want, where you want it to be, what you've ever wanted for your life. And, but the progression of it is slow. So it was first just him. And then um, the more my career grew, 
the more he would use my career to say, well, if you want to step up in your career and, you know, go to the next level, become more famous, or then, you know, I need to introduce you to somebody. And it's the CEO of this company. Um, my situation was never in Motel 6s. It wasn't, um, you know, in the downtrodden neighborhoods of South Africa. It was in mansions and it was in uh, extremely wealthy establishments. And I'm so by- grateful that you're, you're communicating that because I think, I think the, it's possible that the average person thinks that this is, yeah, back alley, you know, drug addict or somebody that's whatever. No. Like this is everybody. We, yes, there. Everybody from someone who grew up in the projects all the way to someone who's upper class, you know, whose dad's a millionaire. It, it crosses boundaries because here's the reality of it. Um, let's just pause for a second and take trafficking off the table. Sexual abuse with children has been a, around for centuries. It's, it's it, we see it in the Bible. Sexual abuse on kids have been around always. So trafficking is nothing more than sexual abuse with financial gain it's still sexual abuse of kids that's yes. what it is so we cannot have the conversation about trafficking if we don't have the conversation about sexual abuse sure. the exploitation of kids yes. what happens with foster care with them what happens with kids that are runaways um because let me tell you no trafficking situation right happens without sex being involved unless it's a labor trafficking situation but sex trafficking happens when sex is involved Yes. And we cannot get rid of sex because sex is present in pretty much every single household in America. God created us to be intimate. He yep. created us for creation. So you cannot get rid of sex trafficking if you cannot get rid of sex, right? So right. it's restoring the beauty of what it was intended for in the first place. So if we have the conversation about prevention of child sexual abuse, because that's typically where it starts in situations like these, we would have a much... Um, I want to say faster, but we would have a much broader approach to to preventing trafficking, for preventing kids to even get in those situations, because it's it's not a um, it's not a one process method. There's multiple phases and stages of a child being pulled into a trafficking situation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so you had mentioned a, a few minutes ago about being rescued. So if I can understand correctly, so you're you're still living at home. Correct, right? But then, that I went home every single night. I would go and sing, and I would be brought back home. And my mom would chaperone me. She would be in the audience, and I would be raped in a in a dressing room. Wow! You know, as for sexual favor, it was right under their noses uh-huh. and my mom's nose. And the only thing that prevented her from knowing was my silence because I was scared to death that they were going to kill my mom. Hmm. So I, I went along with lies, um, which I had to work through in, in severe repentance in my own life, mm-hmm. because eventually you start, you, you attach yourself and you, you belong to the sickening family and, and you start going along with it, you know? And um, at 17, I had really become, I was very angry. Uh, I was smoking a lot and drinking and I just didn't want to live. I had no desire for life because of the darkness I was in. So John wanted, um, he wanted to have sex with me again before I went on stage. And I just thought that day, you know what? I don't care if you kill me today, but I want to fight. My mom wasn't there at that event. And I thought, I'm just going to, I'm going to fight. 
My brother was supposed to pick me up later at night. I have Yaku, my brother's six years older than I am, you know. So at that at that point, he was already in his 20s, you know. So I had arranged for him to come pick me up after the gig, but I just, I was done. Yeah. I just, I didn't care. I was done. And we got into a physical altercation and it was, it was, a, it was a, it was a mess. It was very violent and an undercover cop who was moonlighting um, to make some extra money at this uh, uh, casino resort, uh, walked into, knocked on my dressing room door and just pushed the door open to let me know that the management would like me to start a little bit earlier. And he walked in on that scene and he did what any cop would do. He acted. He didn't know what was going on, but he knew what he was seeing wasn't right. So, and I was still a minor at that point. So he just intervened. Him and John got an altercation. I, w- I got off to the side. They were screaming and yelling and fighting and things breaking. And uh, John broke free from him and ran out of the dressing room door. He chased after him. John ended up feeding the premises on foot. And I never saw, I've never seen him since I died. He went into hiding. He went into hiding. My husband, Bill, who I'm married to now, we've been married for 10 years, um, took it upon himself to uh, find um, to find uh, the perpetrator, John, and ended up finding him in 2012. And we went back to South Africa and filed charges, and he was arrested. Oh, that's fucking awesome. Sorry for dropping the F-bomb, but that, that's awesome. <laughs> My husband um, is an amazing man for doing that. Yes. Uh, so did he, is he convicted? Did he, is he serving time or? He was, so he was still being a manager. So he was arrested. Then he, I think they held him for two or three days. Um, he was, uh, this whole operation was exposed. There was an article about it and we are, it's a still ongoing case. Wow. Uh, it's, I mean, I only filed charges. What was it? 15 years after the account. And then did other people step forward too? Um, not yet. No, not yet. But, um, I can, I mean, I've named the, I named the other children. There was about six of us, uh, that were underage in this group. Oh, and so I've you, you were aware of other kids that were involved <laughs> in this too during this, while this happened? We, we were friends. You have to understand something. This is like a gang. Everyone knows each other. Everybody keeps each other's secrets. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows what's going on. But how did, how did you know that they were being abused as well? Because I met them, you know? So what would happen is if I go, for instance, they say I'm singing at a five-star casino and I, um, I, you know, I get there, mom brings me. There's uh, two other acts at night that are performing, um, two of which are minors as well, who are being managed by the same manager and the same lingo is given to them. Girls start talking, you know, hey, does he do this to you? Yeah, but, you know, we cannot say anything. Oh, really? Well, who else is there? Well, have you met Amanda? Or have you met so-and-so? Have you met so-and-so? And, yes, I've met her. Okay, well, there's another couple because you're probably going to meet, you know. And because they would group us together, you know. They would, they would book us <clears throat> to sing either to get together as ensemblements or individually, but we typically were on the same tour, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we're all underage, and two of two of the girls were his own daughters. Oh, he had, oh, geez, I like. I, it's hard for me to even begin to imagine the perverseness that allow, like, how a father 
And, and, you know, there's women involved in this too, that are, you know, part of the trafficking and, and the mm -hmm. managing and the grooming, et cetera. You mentioned the words, a sickness and a weakness, which for you to even consider that, I, I think shows a tremendous amount of strength on your part to mm -hmm. acknowledge and have a shred of empathy for this. But uh, where do you think this comes from? It, are a lot of these uh, predators abused themselves? Are they the product of... You know, there has to be something. So, um, um, and I wish that I knew his backstory. Now I do. You know, I, I have absolute, complete forgiveness for this man. I have no hatred in my heart towards him. Zero. I can I, see it in your face. Like, just in your body language, you've, there's been zero tension. I, I, and I know, having just gone through my own stuff, nothing remotely close to this traumatic, how difficult that is psychologically to handle, you know, your, your backstories and stuff. I would love to know how you went through that and how you get, how did you get to the point of forgiveness for an act like that? Well, sure. Um, so after the, the rescue, we moved to the United States. Um, there's many details in between. I ran away from home. I was found by the police. I mean, it, it was just a mess. But when we moved to the United States, my mom got a position in Asheville. Um, I really walked into my young adult life with uh, suicide ideation, depression, anxiety, I had no idea who I was. My, you know, I was called by a nickname for five years. I never used my name, um, or very rarely used my name. Um, and I was just a very depressed, you know, dark person, but also knew how to pretend because I was a performer for a long time, how to present well, you know. Uh, but underneath, I was falling apart. So at 25, I attempted suicide the first time. Mm which the, the normal life expectancy of a girl that is trafficked is about seven years before she takes her life. Wow. That's just so hard, you know? Wow. Jeez. That's frightening. So I, I did that. And then after, after that, I was dating Bill at the time, my husband now, and Bill invited me to go to church with him. And, um, I didn't want to go, you know, even though I was raised in a Christian home and, I knew who Jesus was and God, and I, I just, you know, didn't want to go. I just thought, no, church is for perfect people, you know, it's not for people like me. <laughs> and so he convinced me to go, and I went. And for the first time in my life, growing up in a legalistic church, I went to a church where I heard a pastor, Scotty Smith, uh, talk about the grace of God and how he loves broken, messy people and that those are his folks, you know, and that if you have a story like that, um, he can do tremendous things through you and that, and that he loves, he loves your, your mistakes and your scars and the things that you've done because he can do something with those and he can redeem those and he can show you his love through those. And it just, I became undone mm. uh, listening to this pastor because I felt like he was talking just to me. And when we left church that day, I was so angry and disturbed and upset about my life that um, I needed to cry. I, 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 needed to, I needed to grieve, but I didn't know how to grieve. Mm. So I took a, like a salvation Jesus stick that my husband made in, in school and workshop, and I smashed his sports car with it. Just absolute crazy stuff. Mm. Just wanting relief. That I attempted a second suicide attempt. Um, I tried to run in front of a very busy road. Bill got me, brought me back into the house, and I just collapsed out of exhaustion 
he prayed for me. And after that, and, and, and again, Peter, this is just my story. This doesn't happen for everybody like this. And I don't know why God did this for me like this way, but I'll just tell you what happened. Mm-hmm. I audibly heard God call my name, mm-hmm. audibly like you and me talking. And I knew without a shadow of a doubt that it was an authority speaking to me that every fiber of my being knew who was talking to me. And I just said, okay, if you are who that pastor said you are and who Bill says you are, then you need to help me because I do not want to wake up tomorrow morning. It's done. And I felt a peace come over me. I slept for 18 hours, which that was not something I did on a normal basis. And when I woke up that next day, I had no depression. It was gone. I mean, I lived with depression for, you know, 12, 12, 13 years. Yeah. Didn't have it. And I thought that I was bipolar. You know, I'm like, okay, great. Now there's one more thing wrong with me, you know, because I'd been to enough therapy at that point to know that, you know, (laughs) up, down, bipolar, you know, sound like that. You have a a whole menu of options to choose from. Right. But the way that I knew that, 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 that I wasn't bipolar was I walked outside and I saw this gorgeous tree in the back of our, of our yard. And we still live at the same property. And I heard birds singing rhythm. And Peter, this is going to sound odd to you, but I did not see trees or hear birds for 12 years of my life. I know what you mean. I, I was so focused on the survival of my life that creation just did not exist around me. Yes. I knew that I was changed. Didn't know how. But all the therapy that I had done in my early 20s up until this point, which now I'm 26, um, started to work. It started to work. And I'm absolutely convinced it's because that spiritual peace of God, you know, was imparted into my story mm-hmm. to where things started working in my brain. Um, I uh, continued on trauma, uh, to go to trauma therapy uh, once a week. I am still going to therapy um, every other week. Um, and who knows how long I'll, I'll need to do that. But I, will, I am an overcomer and I will continue to do it because that's my decision. That I will not be a victim and defined by what John did to me. And in that process, we just work through many books. We work through many um, uh, moments, scenarios, memories, EMDR, you know, just visualizations of what had happened and to walk me step by step through it and to process and to grieve. And it was through my grieving that I got to a place to where I one day thought, you know, God, I'm, I'm ready to, I'm ready to let this guy go. Mm-hmm. I'm ready to not hold him ransom for what he did to me because I want freedom. Mm-hmm. It's up to you, God, what you do with him. I will, I will do what I can. I'll file charges. I'll, I'll do all this stuff. But as far as you dealing with his emotions and his soul, I have no control over that. Mm-hmm. Or him feeling guilty for what he did. I just, I can't do it, but I want freedom. Mm-hmm. and uh, we don't possess the power of forgiveness ourselves. We have to have, you know, um, God give it to us. And so I just said, I'd, I'd love to have that. And it was months. It was a months and months and months process before I actually, you know, could say, wow, I forgive you. Hmm. I abs- In my heart, like with no anger, resentment, I forgive you. And I release you. Hmm. You know, go. May God have mercy on your soul. Right. May, may, he, may he help you understand your own brokenness of why you were so sick and why you did what you did and bring you to your knees so that you can repent for what you've done. Mm-hmm. But 
I'm going to be free from this, mm. from this point forward, you know? And so that's why I do what I do, you know, is to give women, I, I mainly work with, work with women in women's ministry, but that's my main goal is, um, I hope that you don't have a story like I do, but a lot of women have been sexually abused, three out of five, yeah. you know, in a given room have been. So I want, I want those women and women that have had abortions and women who grew up with parents who, who, who were there, but they weren't there emotionally or women who grew up with an angry father or an angry mother or absence of parents, whatever your story and your situation is, I want you to know that you can be an overcomer of anything that happened in your life mm -hmm. and that God can redeem that for you and he can restore it for you. And there are things that you can practically do you know, to work through your story. That's why I've written two books about it. I have a workbook about it. I mean, we can be co-authors in our story with the Lord as we go forward. And we can rewrite the things that have happened to us. And what I mean by that is, it's an exercise of when you, if I look at, if I look at the, let's say the day when I was violated the first time, I can in a journal write, here's the facts of what happened to me, right? Here's what happened. Here's what I would have liked to have happened to me, okay? So I rewrite the scenario on what my wishes really were. So I give myself a voice. I give myself power in that moment. And actually what happens is new brain cells form in your brain when you do that. It's like physical exercise for your brain. Mm -hmm. um, and you form new pathways. And so it actually gives you a, a, a moving forward releasing of the trauma that happened in your life. It moves you. Mm -hmm. and physically moves your brain forward. So um, I teach women how to do exercises like that. And I'm not a psychiatrist or a psychologist, you know. Um, I, um, I am a public relation voice for uh, anything that's got to do with child sexual abuse or trafficking or helping women overcome their stories. And I only speak from my own experience, um, but I've, li I've lived and experienced God restoring me. Um, I have a healthy marriage. I have a healthy sex life today, which is a miracle. Um, I have two beautiful children and I live a normal life. And I am just, I'm just so thankful to God every single day. The best part of my day is waking up in the morning and seeing my family, that I get to be here, mm. that I'm not a prostitute in a ditch somewhere, mm. you know, and I've got nothing against prostitutes. I've, oh gosh, my heart bleeds for them. I, you know, I want to help them, but that could have been my story right now. Mm. You know, I could have been a statistic. Mm -hmm. So I'm very, very grateful. What a powerful example of um, just your own inward journey to arrive at a place where you have peace, where you have abundance in, uh, you know, spiritual abundance and family and love and joy. And for you to be able to <clears throat> have climbed that uh, metaphorical mountain and be able to shout, you know, at the top of your lungs, there is a path, there is hope, you can follow this, you know. Absolutely. Yeah, it, uh, it's so inspirational. Um, and I do want to say, I mean, obviously, you're working on and focused on helping women, but there's obviously a lot of men and young boys who are dealing with a lot of this as well. That's a big part of this uh, statistic, unfortunately. Um, yeah, but, and you know, there's no real I use Homeland Security statistics and Polaris, and, and there's no real um, number yet that anybody can give you. We know that the majority is, is girls and women, sure. but there's at least, you know, a 10% or more that it's boys and men. Yes. I, I, I have 
a handful of friends who have dealt with, you know, priesthood and things of that nature. And so um, any child, obviously, that's being oh, so abused. Another word. That's, yeah. Yep. Um, so uh, before we go, I know you're short on time or, you know, that we're wrapping up on time. Um, what are some of the things that parents can do to protect their children? And what are some things that um, children can do to protect themselves? Yeah. So I, parents out there, go back to the basics. You know, the basic things that you taught your kids when they were three and four. You know, don't just talk to strangers. Not anybody that's friendly to you is going to be a friend. Um, be vigilant in, uh, you know, buddy systems. Teach your daughters who's going to college. Please don't get in an Uber by yourself. Take a friend with you. Let somebody know where you are. Don't walk in an alley at 1.30 in the morning when you went to go listen to a band and you're going back to your dorm room. Make sure that you're with somebody. You remember that, Peter, when they said buddy system, you know, go with somebody, hold hands, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, back to the basics of just, just one, uh, 101 safety. That is one of the biggest things of what I've seen, how, how women and parents can protect their kids and how they can protect themselves. And even as an adult woman, like, you know, if you are a, a, a working woman, your secretary or an assistant or manager at an office, you know, and you know that you're going to work late at eight o'clock at night and your car is going to be the only one in the parking lot, right? Get on your phone and talk to somebody while you're going to your car, right? Or maybe don't work that late. You know, see if there's someone that can walk you to your car, if there's security that can escort you. Just keep yourself safe because numbers count. So if you are two or more, you count. You know, it it protects you. I mean, that's just a fact because um, uh, predators and criminals um, don't like groups of people. You know, they will, they'll probably single. Um, <clears throat> that's just the one-on-one safety things. But then parents have a conversation with your kids age appropriately. Um, there are tons of resources. I mean, Polaris has got some um, tons of resources online on how to talk to your kids about trafficking uh, age appropriately, of course. Mm-hmm. If your kids are teenagers. I mean, you can pretty much have an open discussion with them about what it is, what it looks like. Uh, the lures and the signs of when kids go to malls by themselves and, you know, um, what to say, what not to say and how to look for those different kinds of things. But um, it really, if you will, if you would be willing as a parent just to have the conversation, you will decrease the likelihood that your child will be in a situation like that because what you're doing is you're heightening their awareness of the situation. Mm-hmm. So they'll start looking at, well, I'm wondering, that seems odd to me that that girl in the school who you know, used to not be so well known. And now she's like the popular kid and all the boys are hanging around her and she's inviting all these girls to parties and her parents aren't rich, but all of a sudden she has a Louis Vuitton handbag and what's going on there. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. why is she inviting all these girls? And so, because a lot of them become madams, you know, in high schools where they will become recruiters, you know, for boys to have sex with other girls and they'll pay that girl by buying her goods, you know, Mm -hmm. lipsticks and Sephora gift cards and, handbags and shoes and jeans and things like that. And it's not that that child wants to do it. Maybe she's poor, you know, and she wants to keep up with the Joneses with the rest of the school mm-hmm. and just it's pulled into a situation like that, you know? So teaching your kids, um, teaching your kids to just be vigilant and aware of their surroundings is extremely important. And I would encourage, um, I would encourage parents find a, a, a organization in your local area is doing a training on anti-human trafficking. Go. Go sit and listen to it. We have a big one coming up in Franklin, Tennessee, um, April 
April the 6th. It's a Monday morning where we have um, Homeland Security, the FBI, TBI. Um, we have an expert on human trafficking that's training. I'm speaking at it. Um, and just to teach parents, like, literally what you do, what the steps are, what, 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 what to do and how to act if you suspect something. Um, go to training in your area. The, pretty much every single state has some form of training that's happening mm -hmm. by a nonprofit organization. Mm -hmm. uh, that would be very, very, very helpful for you to do that. And um, know where your kids are. Know where your kids are. Know what's on their phones. If they have TikTok on their phone, delete it today. Get rid of it today. Back page, get rid of it today. The reason I say that is because there's not enough legislation yet to hold uh, social media companies um, responsible for for the platforms that they're allowing, the kind of content that they allow. TikTok is just soft pornography. Hmm. And it's been proven that the more someone watches pornography, the more they're going to need the sensation of something deeper and more aggressive and eventually they will themselves get into situations they don't want to be in. Mm. So, um, yeah, we just, you know, I, I think another thing for parents too, is like, stop trying to be a friend. Don't try to be your child's friend, be a parent for goodness sake, mm -hmm. be the protector, the boundary setter, you mm. know, the one that says, no, you cannot do this. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to get you a flip phone. You know, we're going to keep you safe, but we're going to get you a flip phone. You don't need all these apps. You do not need 5,000 friends on Instagram and Facebook. And why? Yeah. Because the majority of people who troll Facebook and Instagram are not looking at your profile, you know, in favor for you. Yeah. A lot of traffickers, you know, troll Facebook and Instagram to find girls who are insecure, who are doing insecure poses and workout outfits. And, you know, we, we just put way too much out there on social media. You know, and kids just think that, oh, it's okay, I'm safe. And no, you're not. Yeah. You're not. Yeah. I actually, my um, daughter recently became a teenager and uh, went to look for a, a flip phone for her and found that just even on an iPhone, you can turn off, you can take off Safari, the browser, you know, you can restrict her from, you know, so I don't, she doesn't, uh, she's not allowed to download any app. She can't download any app. So she has texting and phone. And right. that's you pretty much it want her to be safe right exactly 100 percent. in touch with her but they but i say that i say that because so many parents I, I don't even know that i didn't you know i've been a big mac user for a long time i didn't know that i could do that, that that's why i was looking for a flip phone so yeah. if you're a parent and, and your child does have a, a smartphone there are ways that you can restrict you know take off the apps restrict that's, it yes that's great advice yeah yes. um i know you need to go but what are the name of the books that um, that you've sure. been? Yeah. So, um, um, a secret freedom it's on Amazon secret freedom, how to, how to, how to fly again and gain freedom from keeping secrets. And that is for any story of any kind. Mm -hmm. And it, it has a, um, after every single chapter, there's workbook questions that you can, you can work through. If you so choose, you can just read the book if you want to. Um, and then I've got, um, my first book was, was, um, my first book is called Keeping Secrets, which is my full biography. Hmm. Um, it's also on Amazon. There's a second edition of that one coming out shortly through Morgan James Publishing. And uh, that one will be available probably in the next three months or so. Um, my first publisher, um, unfortunately, um, 
I was diagnosed with cancer and, and passed away. And so another publishing company absorbed his company. And so they're just re-releasing all the, you know, all the books, but um, Secret Freedom, you can buy, I think it's like 10 or $11 on Amazon, gotcha. you know, through that. Yeah. And then I've got, you know, just find me on, I've got tons of music on YouTube and iTunes and, you know, speaking things. And, and if, if there's anyone out there to where I could bless your church or your ministry or your women's group, you know, go to my website, ilonkadeeton.com and, and contact us and arrange for me to come and speak, you know, and, and do training and all of those things for you. Fantastic, Alanka. Thank you. Um, f- let's wrap this up real quick to, if you could just speak specifically to somebody who might be dealing with abuse right now, what would you say um, to them? Please speak up. Don't keep it a secret. The minute you speak up, you're shining a light into darkness and you can get help. Get, please. We have so many free resources. Get in touch with me. Contact us. Through my website, contact us. We will give you free resources. There's so many free resources in the United States. You do not have to be stuck in this. You're not defined by this. You didn't choose this. You didn't do anything to bring this on yourself. The only person that is to blame is is the one that did this to you. Mm -hmm. And there's a way out. And there's a hopeful way out. And there's a way to where you can have an incredible life. But it all starts with you making the decision to speak up. Thank you, Alonka. This has been amazing. Alonkadeaton.com. This is, uh, it's been so illuminating. And speaking of illuminating, for those that can't see what I can see, you're a beautiful soul. Thank you for um, fighting through (laughs) what you did. And a huge shout out. Keep on fighting. Thank you for what you Oh, thank you. I, huge shout out to uh, to Bill and your brother too. I, I know he's really taken this on and, and is yeah, fighting well. Yeah, so. And then to uh, uh, Karen, our manager booking agent that keeps everything going, Peter. Without- <laughs> awesome. Good deal. All right, we'll get back to those kiddos. Alaka. Thank you. Thank you so much, Peter. Blessings. All right. Bye. Take care.